This episode is sponsored by our friends, the amazing Chicks with Scripts. Chicks with Scripts is a community of fantastic writers, from newbie writers to show creators, dedicated to supporting and amplifying intersectional female and non-binary voices. Right? Aren't you just glad something like that exists in the world? It's fantastic. I love all the folks from Chicks with Scripts. It was founded by Eva Taylor, whose episode, BTW, is available from this past September, right now. So go check that out and let me know what you think. Check out also chickswithscripts.com. If you're in Los Angeles, drop them a line. Heck, you know what? If you're anywhere in the world, it's all virtual. Drop them a line and get involved. Chickswithscripts.com. They're fabulous. Hey everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. Our guest today is writer, improviser, teacher, Emily Schmidt. We both have a deep, deep love for improv. Oh my gosh, I love improv so much. If you haven't done an improv class, go take one. Go take one just for the fun of it. It's such great communication skills. It's super fun and trust me, you will not regret it. Go take one. So Emily and I both share a love for improv and somehow, I don't know how, but our paths have never crossed yet. We met through Chicks with Scripts and instantly uh, she starts talking about improv and I'm like, oh, I get you. I get you so, so hard. And uh, we had so much fun chatting. She's been improvising for over 15 years, including UCB with Dangerbox at NYU and the Brave New Workshop in Minneapolis and currently with King 10 at the Westside Comedy Theater. Emily was the writer's assistant for Netflix's Girl Boss, staffed on the Netflix multicam No Good Nick, and on set joke writer for Kate Cannon's Blockers. She's a rising star, she really is. When she's not writing or trying to write or doing the writing thing, Emily is usually watching The Golden Girls and Baking. Just a little inside scoop for you about Emily. She's currently writing for a new series on Fox called This Country, led by Jenny Bix and Paul Feig. It sounds, seriously, it sounds so amazing. It's like a, a mockumentary comedy series based on a British series, following a pair of cousins as they go through their daily lives in idiosyncratic surroundings, as they say. I don't say that, but they do. The show was actually Fox's first pickup of the 2021-22 season, so off to the races. The half-hour series also stars Sean William Scott, Aya Cash, and Taylor Ortega. So, wow, you know it's gonna be funny. Especially because you've got Emily on the team. Emily's not only fantastically funny, but she is a beautiful human being, and I loved, loved chatting with her. So here she is. Here's my chat with Emily Schmidt. I was looking at some of the, um, the things that you did, and I'm so sad to have missed your Q&A with Karen Grazzi. Oh, yeah. Because she was just on the show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. funny how that works out. It truly, truly is a small world. Small industry, but small world. It's true. Was there anything in that Q&A that you were like, because I figured those Q&As are for people that either have, are just starting out and they're like, how do you write an outline? And then there's some people that are like, how do I get this in front of people? Was there any shocker questions that came from that? Um, nothing that felt too surprising. I just feel like the, the writer's room is so mysterious and it's like this goal for so many people of like, I just want to get in a room 
Yeah. But until what is this room, this mysterious room? Yeah. It's like, yeah. how actually, how does it work? Like, what does a day look like? And what are the different tasks? And do the levels sort of mean anything other than like your pay grade? And um, that I, I'm so happy to answer those kind of questions because I feel like I was not so long ago in that same boat of like, yeah. I know I want this. I think I do. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> well, so um, yeah like was there anything surprising that when you started getting yourself into writers rooms because you've been you've been in some great writer rooms and now you're starting to like actually own the room a little bit more it seems as you're stepping into other shows well I I've been in, yeah I've been in two rooms um I was writer's assistant on girl boss and then was a staff writer on no good nick which was a netflix multi-cam um and it felt like after I had that second room experience, I was able to sort of be like, okay, this is what's standard in rooms. This is what feels specific in each of my experiences. Um, but in terms of what surprised me um, was just how truly fun and how, how it like was the dream job I was hoping it would be. Oh, good. Yeah, getting into the- otherwise, like- you're fighting for these things and you get there and you're like, Oh no, this isn't what I wanted. Right. And I was like, how do people group write things? Like, how does this brainstorming go? Like, um, does it feel like an insurmountable amount of pressure? Um, when you're like off on outline or off on script. And I think for some shows, I'm sure it does. And you know, different scenarios, um, are more stressful than others. I think depending on the showrunner, depending on the, on the situation, but, when I was in the girl boss room, I was like, I can't believe that this is a job. Like even as writer's assistant, even though I like felt, felt pressure of like getting, getting the notes done well and not missing anything and really being connected for the whole day. I was like, if this is as hard as it gets, you know, until you get to like the number two or showrunner position, I'm like, this is a, this is great. This is so fun. So that was a relief. What was it um, specifically that surprised you when you found yourself in the room? Like, what do you think, let me say, let me say that differently. What do you think you brought to the room in Girl Boss that you didn't know that you had that was special? I think um, my ability to pitch character-driven jokes and <laughs> my, my Minnesotanness really came through in that room of like, oh, if I'm a nice, helpful person, which is what I want to be all the time anyway, that is like recognized and appreciated in this yeah. situation. And a lot of my like natural instincts of being helpful were seen as, um, as like sort of over the top helpful, which surprised me. Um, and I was like, oh, this is definitely a thing that I can, I can provide. Like I can be a good helper in this situation and I can really think about what the showrunner needs and try my best to, to provide that. And that's like something that I, I, I wanted to do. It came easily. Mm -hmm. I like wanted to do that. And then, yeah, just yeah. like joke pitching. That just seems like in your makeup. I, I think, I mean, I really credit my Minnesotanness for that. I know you, you say, you talk so much about your Minnesotanness and I'm, I'm not, I don't disagree. I do find that people from Minnesota are so like, I don't know. There's something very warm about them. Yeah. So I think carry that into your rooms. Yeah. 
I've found too, um, I have a lot of friends here that moved from Minnesota and used to have, um, always had like Minnesotan roommates. I was like this sort of, not a halfway house, but people would, people would move from Minnesota and live with me for a year and then find the love of their life and move out. And then I just sort of stayed in that house, like the single house mom for like, a, for like seven years. Yeah. You're like, so long sucker. Have a good one. You're welcome. I, again. I, I could aid in your journey to, to true love and happiness. But a lot of those friends were working at, um, like customer service jobs and we're getting the same kind of notes or feedback from their bosses of like, wow, you're very kind to customers. Like, they're like I'm just literally doing what I consider the bare minimum. Yeah. Of like, yeah but, well, but you've been in, you've been in Los Angeles for how many years now? Uh, a little over seven years. So do you feel like that Minnesotaness is leaving you because Los Angeles is changing you and you're <laughs> grasping at it? Stay Stay kind, Minnesota. I know. I hope not. I do think I've gotten better at being um, a little more assertive and um, fall, like uh, I find myself falling for bullshit less and less, which I think is good. I think that's like a good evolution. Um, and trying to think of it as like um, reserving my kindness and helpfulness for people who really um, are, are genuinely kind back. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that that has helped. I think also just growing up, I think uh, that evolves for, for people a little bit, mm -hmm. but, um, but I hope, I, I can't imagine my Minnesotanness would ever fully leave me. It feels pretty. No. Yeah. I just can't imagine. So what was that like? What was Emily like as a kid growing up in Minnesota that you feel like you've actually like reflecting? Cause sometimes I look back and I'm like, I produced puppet shows as a kid. Yeah. Like that was my jam. And so now I'm like, Oh, well I'm still producing puppet shows. The puppets are just me live. Yeah. I was, um, I was a strange little kid in that I was always super tall and, um, me too. Yeah, it does. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I wanted to be like the cute little Nina in the class. Yeah, yeah. That was so never me. Like I had like a matronly body by like age eight. Um, I, so, so as a result, like I feel like I was always with the, with the teachers, like always with the grownups and sort of observing um, my peers and sort of like felt like I was separate a little bit um but was like writing since I was super little no kidding constantly writing stories all the time um and yeah had like a weird relationship with teachers I I skipped second grade I think part of the reason was just because I was so tall like I was five foot two when I was eight I was like as tall as moms but I don't think that they would have passed you if you weren't like you didn't have some hope of intelligence that would carry you through. Yeah. Like they're, they're like, she's tall. Off you go. <laughs> they were like, it seems like she can write cursive. So we'll move her along. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I remember in kindergarten going to a friend's house for a play date and playing dress up and her mom's heels fit me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As opposed <laughs> to that picture with a floppy hat and the tiny feet in the big shoes. No. No, never. That was never me. So already I felt um, like I wanted to be friends with these older women and couldn't be. And so was constantly sort of imagining scenarios in which I like fit in somewhere, I think. Um, 
and yeah, was writing stories and then um, started playing basketball and then found that when I would go shoot hoops in my driveway, it was the best brainstorming. So I, I would shoot hoops for like hours on end to like create stories in my head. Some of them I wrote down, most of them I didn't. And my parents were like, she's going to be a basketball star. She loves basketball so much. She's always out there. You're <laughs> training like, for that, uh, that classic like comedy writer's room where they're like throwing baskets when they're like, okay, come up with some ideas. Come up with some ideas. I'll be ready for it. Actually, I played on a basketball team here in LA with a bunch of other comedy women called the Lucille Ballers. So that was a real like coming together of, um, (laughs) of my past life and current life. Like it all all came together. Yeah. So your parents thought you were going to be a basketball star, but you were like, no, actually I'm training to be in writer's room where I'm generating ideas. Yeah. I, I would, I would talk to myself and just create stories and it was, um, just, you know, living in these, in these other, in these other worlds and yes, only sometimes writing them down, but it really felt separate from comedy. And I think it wasn't until, um, like junior high, I got really obsessed with SNL, like, like saw it for the first time and was like, what is this? I want to do this. And Googled improv classes and found an improv school in Minneapolis and took classes. It was like the first thing I did apart from like my friend group, like I did it sort of alone. Mm -hmm. And it, I still hadn't fully connected like my writing brain and comedy, but junior high and high school, just like fully obsessed with improv, um, performing. (laughs) I actually, um, got into, uh, an adult improv, like short form (laughs) troupe. Because you're yeah. so tall. They're like, she can let the kid do what she wants to do. I know, right? Um, I, was, I was 16 and performing um, on the weekends at a suburban hotel bar with this adult troupe. And they let me perform if I wore a wristband that said I wasn't 21 yet um, because it was like a 21 plus bar. And like, that was my whole like high school experience really. And like my friends couldn't come to shows because they were not 21. So my teachers would come to my improv shows. (laughs) It's always so weird seeing teachers at a school too. You're like, don't be so normal. It feels weird. I loved it. Like that, I wanted to be friends with them. So it felt, it was like, it was great. I like gave them my drink tickets and um, it was, it was great. And that sort of culminated um, my senior year. Uh, I didn't get asked to prom, but I'd had a prom dress. And I was like, you know, I'm not scheduled to perform that night, but I'm just going to go watch the show in my prom dress. And uh, my friends actually <laughs> um, secretly planned something they called improm and um, got a limo. And I showed up and everyone had a corsage for me no. and everyone dressed up. <laughs> Oh and God, we I'm did cry. I'm so sensitive like, today. It was amazing. They did like a prom themed improv show where um guys took turns asking to do the next improv structure with me. <laughs> and then I got crowned improv queen. No. <laughs> the audience, it was just a normal audience who thought they were there for like a normal show. And they got this like crazy prom situation and they had like decorated with streamers and 
and the audience voted on my Improm King. And um, it was the, the best experience of my life. Um, oh my God, what friends. It was so special. And, and I'm still very good friends with, um, with everyone. And they're, they're still in Minnesota improvising. Um, and yeah, so that, well, my, that's my an, experience. yeah, that's an incredible group of friends that you gathered around you. I mean, only, only good people like that are around good people like you. So that's uh, kudos to you as well. Do you, do you remember that time that you realized you were funny? Cause there's a lot of people that have that kind of path of like, I'm going to take improv, but then they're like, no, this isn't, it's not because it really is. It's a muscle. Like I do think people can learn it, but it's, you know, having the instinct of comedy is something that is innate. I think, I think you're really, it's a practiced skill. Do you remember that moment that you're like, Oh, I can do this. You know, I know that it happened. I wrote it in my junior high diary that I make people laugh. And, um, that was when I'd already started taking improv. So I think like improv needed to sort of organize that for me. Like I wasn't like the class clown, like I loved school, like rule follower, like didn't, um, didn't really access that part of me. But as a really little kid, my parents would make me like perform for family members and friends. Yeah, as like, they I do. do Mm-hmm. dance monkey dance uh, I have been there so embarrassing uh, yeah and so did that and then um I really think like when you're a little kid like honing um like storytelling and specifics like I feel like that is what as a really little kid like shows up still in like my comedy or writing is like finding finding what's funny about what happened to me or like knowing how to tell a story. Um, I think that's how I was like funny or interesting or weird as a kid. Um, and then finding a home for that in improv. But I really don't think that I had that realization until I started taking classes and someone else, like other people could point that out for me. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody else sort of sees you and go, you know, you're funny. And you're like, oh, I, I didn't know. I thought I just did this thing that you do. And was there yeah. somebody that you connected to, um, that you connected to their comedy? Like I watched SNL a little bit growing up, but SCTV was a huge thing for me. So like yeah. Catherine O'Hara and Andrew Martin, I'm like, oh, those are my people. Like I just got their sense of humor right away. Was there somebody like that for you? Um, definitely Tina Fey. And then, and then also I think Paula Pell. Um, like even, you know, in junior high, I belonged to like these SNL message boards. I was like very active, um, (laughs) trying to find out everything I could and like realizing that my favorite sketches were usually written by Tina or Paula and, um, Mm. liking Tina's like rule following smart. Um, but like you know, satirical and, um, sort of observational, like pointed observations. Like I really just identified with that of like, oh, I can be like the smart, high achieving kid that I want to be and still be funny. And I think before that I hadn't seen, um, I hadn't seen that together super clearly. Yeah. Yeah. She really shone a light onto that. I, I agree with you. Um, so then your trajectory in your mind is finish 
improv, get old enough to be able to drink with my teachers in the bar and then, and then like perform or get into a writer's room? So I, I think it's interesting because I really didn't firm up um, like performing versus writing until college. I was very much like, I want to be an improviser. And I didn't really know what that would, what that would look like or how the I big bucks. Yeah. I'm like, there's no, there's no money in this. Um, but I, I was really involved in the, in the school newspaper in high school. I wrote features columns um, that were just like funny columns. And uh, initially got into the journalism school at NYU and was going to pursue journalism, improvise as much as I could. And in my head, I was like, maybe that could equal like a TV writing career. Like right. I, it, it felt um, sort of nebulous. I knew I wanted to write. I knew I could write. I wanted to write funny things, but I wasn't like writing good rights. Hmm? How, did, how did you know you could write? Um, I think it's that, that is something that's always been a part of me and like other people had pointed it out. Um, it's, it's funny cause as, as a kid, I was like, I want to be a writer, but that seemed, um, like not to find, um, it seemed like how or what would that look like? I don't know. It seemed like, a not enough of a, um, of a definition of a job. <laughs> Yeah. But I would go to like writing workshops and um, was, you know, liked writing papers, like liked using words, um, but didn't really write scripts or anything. Did some sketch in high school, but it didn't click really until I got to college. Um, and I, I was going to NYU and I had a meeting with my advisor and she was like, so what do you want to do in freshman year? I'm like, well, you know, I don't like news at all. Um, but I do want to get this degree in journalism and hopefully try to write funny things with that degree. And she's like, we have a TV writing degree. Maybe you should be there. <laughs> so, and then you didn't even put the two together. Like you hadn't even thought there was that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that so yeah. wild? They're like, we actually have a place for you specifically. Yeah, it felt like I'd had to do, you know, I'd had to major in theater or something. And I, I wasn't in plays in high school. I never got cast in them. I was always doing like box office promotion stuff in high school theater. And it felt um, like I wasn't really a part of that world. Um, and also when I got to NYU, I was going to SNL every weekend and like sleeping on the street. <laughs> What? What do you mean? To try and see the show? Yeah. Yeah. Oh it's my hot. God. You're such a committed comedian. That is commitment. That's like, that's like those people that are just like, they're so hungry. As soon as you, it's like going to a buffet and go, I can eat everything here. Yeah. Which I also do at real buffets. So <laughs> that, that transfers yeah. to all parts it's of Chinese life. buffet. I'm like, Oh, my favorite. <laughs> Uh, so wait, you were sleeping on the streets of New York to try and get into the shows. Your yeah. parents are like, good for you. Follow your dreams. They were disturbed. They were especially disturbed when for Christmas I asked for like camping gear. Oh my God. So you could be committed to your homelessness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so like, I had always been obsessed with New York. 
I was maybe going to go to college in Chicago so that I could do Second City. Like that was a goal, but um, ultimately decided on NYU, went to New York, didn't know anyone in the city. I was 17, um, had no understanding of the city. Like my childhood bedroom is still plastered with like pictures of Times Square. I was like, that's New York. I I shall live in Times Square. Like I just had no. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, I I don't think people understand that I'm actually very coastal. And I'm basically a New Yorker and moved there. And I was like, oh my God, like I make bunt cakes. I am six feet tall. Like this is, it was, it was a culture shock. And one thing that I felt like still tethered to was like my love of SNL. And I learned that I could go. Um, they handed out standby tickets on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Oh my God. And it was not not guaranteed. Yeah. So I would go, um, I would go on Friday night and sit on the sidewalk in line with people who were like more unstable than I was. And, um, but you had good camping gear. Yes, I did bring a sleeping bag. Um, oh my God, it's, it's disturbing to look back on, but it was my favorite thing. I looked forward to it all week. I got into, I think, 21 episodes. My oh, my time. God. That's huge. So I would just go. Um, I had really good luck. I always asked for the live ticket. There were only a couple that I slept on the street and didn't get in, which that was a really sobering time. <laughs> Like, what have I done? Um, But I would go to SNL. The cast started to recognize me and was like, they were very kind to me. I think because I wasn't trying to create like fan websites for them. They were like, very kind. Um, And then on Sundays, I would go see ASCAT at UCB with like Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers. Like, you were at school. Yeah. Right? Like you created your own school. Wait, yeah. I have two questions. Like, did you make friends with the other people in the line because they would be your, the regulars? Some of them, yes. It was a very specific subculture. Um, yeah. There was like a couple who had been going since the 80s. Holy cow. And they are definitely characters. Um, Lauren, I guess, gave them tickets like for life, but they were like, we want to still be able to police the line. Oh. That's very funny. That's ridiculous. But but your parents were just like, enjoy. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you Sunday morning because we won't see you Saturday. You're just gonna be on the streets. I think they they trusted me, and um, I would check in with them. I'd call them. I remember one time I was like talking to my mom while I was in line, and like Bill Hader came out, and I was like, hang on, mom, I have to say hi to Bill. And I was like, hi. And he's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, my mom. He's like, can I say hi? He like took the phone. He like chatted with my mom for a few minutes. Like, but these are like your people. Like you're starting to, like, I'm sure there was a time when you were like, oh my God, it's Bill Hader. And then it was like, oh no, that's Bill. Cause we are creators. We're comedy people. We're of the same level. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was not, not I was still very much like in awe, Um, but I was like, they do the thing that I want to do soon. I'm just not doing it yet, Yeah, which is how I felt. And it's actually how I met um, Kay Cannon. 
Wait, you met Kate Cannon through S. No way. That's a great, what a great happening. It was, I mean, truly my friends were like, you need to stop doing this because you're lurking around and it's creepy. And I was like, I know, but I can't stop doing it. Yeah. And, um, Kay was married to Jason Sudeikis at the time. And, um, after the shows on Saturday, like they would sometimes come on on Friday night and say hi to people. But, um, after the show, like people would want pictures with Jason. And I think I truly went up to her at one point and was like, how do you know Jason? Which. <laughs> Fantastic. That's not Fantastic. okay. Um, do you know he's single? Is he single at all? <laughs> yeah. He was not. He was not. Um, and she, um, she was the 30 rock writer, staff writer at the time. And so every week she would like sort of talk to me. I'd talk about like school and how I wanted to study TV writing. And she would talk about 30 rock and she was always so incredibly kind to me. Um, cause I do think that they sort of recognize a version of themselves in me of just like loving comedy and wanting to be as close to it as possible. I also think that you had some journalism training that probably made you super, I'm serious, like that you were curious because, you know, if you, if you and I meet people that are like, oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. There's, I have space for that, but the conversation's very short lived if all they have is, I like what you're doing yeah. and they don't have curiosity about more, like that, let's dig deeper. And I bet you had that because of your your journalism train, training. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I had, I had a lot of questions for them and was always just respectful. I think that also is like the Minnesotan in me of like really, and I thought about it. <laughs> so, um, I was like, I know how good it feels when someone tells me good show. Yes. And even though they're on SNL, I'm sure they also would like to hear good show. And I really believe that. And wanted to I, I still feel that way i still feel like it's i agree with you 100 yeah, because we're also in a tv medium right where there's like a block of like reception and if somebody like i don't know when people come up to me and they've said I, i've seen you on tv i'm like thank you so much i love my job so much and to know i'm doing it well is like the best yeah and so I'm always, i always like I, I don't need to meet celebrities for the sake of meeting celebrities but i do when i see somebody that's affected me Mm -hmm. you know, because of their comedy style or, you know, whether they've given me some laughs, I'm like, oh yeah, I have to talk to you. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I really, and if, if it's genuine, if it comes from a genuine yeah. place. Like, I, I think that that, that, that means something. Um, and my dad came to visit for like parents weekend and I was like, here's the thing. We're not going to do any of these NYU activities. Like, I don't even know what these are. I was like, <laughs> Hugh Laurie is hosting SNL this weekend. Um, why don't you wait on the street with me um, for tickets? And my dad, I have an older dad. He's 78. Um, he wasn't at the time, but still older. And he's such a trooper. It was raining. No. He had a hotel room. He's like, okay, I'll stay for a while. I'll stay for a while, but I'm not going to stay the whole night. I'm like, okay. Jason Sudeikis came out that Friday night as he was leaving and like met my dad. Jason was like, nice to meet you, Mr. Schmidt. Like, how's your trip so far? Chatted with him. He leaves. I'm like, okay, dad, like you can leave now if you want. Like you, you get what I do here. And he's like, let's stick around. Let's see who else oh. comes out. And he stayed the whole night and we got to see the show together. 
oh my god what a special memory that's so fun and also to have a father that was like i got you like that's yeah. huge you know like i'm sure he had other things to do you know oh, that he didn't have to wait on the street with his kid but that's beautiful yeah was there anything along like because new york can also be hard like i think new york's a really hard city i think los angeles is as well but in a different way was there anything that sort of like challenged your your time there where you had to like go i gotta i gotta stick with this like i feel like anytime you're challenged with um things when you're outside of your own home you either have to face them or it makes you retreat and it looks like you face them do you remember a moment like that I mean, for the most part, I faced them. I, I moved back to Minneapolis as soon as I graduated and I came home every summer. Um, New York, it felt harder each year to live there. And I felt more out of my depth instead of actually having a better grasp on living in the city. I feel like my freshman year was like one long vacation. I was going to SNL every weekend. Like it really, um, it, I didn't have to like deal with a lot of the realities of living in New York. And then sophomore year, the writer strike happened. And so SNL wasn't happening. Right. And I, I transferred into the, into Tish for TV writing and all my classes were like creative and it kind of took a toll on me. Cause I, for the first time was lining up like my job or like school with something creative that I was passionate about and it stressed me out to not be able to just go to a lecture and write a paper. Like I had to, I really had to create my own content. That was very new for me. And I also, after my summer, after my freshman year, um, I had met a boy in Minneapolis and that yeah. fucked everything up. <laughs> I mean, it, it's inevitable. Like, I don't know about fucked it up, but I think that's inevitable. Those kind of things take us on a different path. It's not necessarily better or worse, but different. yeah, it really, no. um, created a, a strain. Like we weren't officially together after that summer we did get back together two years later, but it just, it was, it was a constant sort of pull of like the familiarity of home and he was an improviser back home. And so that whole community, I really missed it even more. Felt like I was missing out on shows and, um, it, it was it easier too, hard. right? It was easier probably back home. Like that's just yeah. the thing, even with, I'm, I don't know if you found this, but like when you've moved places, like we've moved to LA, like it's easier back home. This, yeah. I haven't chosen the easy route. So I think sometimes you have to go back and sort of regroup and then. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's what I did. I felt, um, I'm very glad I stayed. I was never going to leave NYU. I knew I was like in it. I loved what I was studying. Um, but it never, it never occurred to me that I would stay in New York. That was like never on the, on the docket. And I actually never imagined moving to LA. I had never been to LA <laughs> I, I don't know what I thought. I was like, I'll yeah. be a TV writer from Minneapolis. And like, that's really not a thing. Um, <laughs> especially oh, no. starting out. So I moved back to Minneapolis and taught improv and wrote some plays and was like, you know, maybe I can stay in Minneapolis and be a playwright. And I just had college friends who had moved to LA and they were like, I think you'd like it here. I had a friend who truly just texted me pictures of food 
She's like, I thought of you. You'd like it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that almost, that, I mean, almost that sells me. I'm like, if somebody posted pictures of franchise, I'd be like, I bet I'd like that. I bet I'd yeah, like that. she was like, I think you'd be comfortable here and you can drive to Target. And I actually just sort of practiced saying that I was moving to LA um, without a real plan. And I was still dating that guy and he was going to maybe eventually move. But I think we both knew that he definitely wasn't going to. And it was like, not a good relationship. Everyone was like, please please be done. And so I think subconsciously the LA move was part of that. But, um, was there a tipping point for you that you're like, I gotta go? Not, it really was a slow try on. I was like working a ton of jobs in Minneapolis and piecing things together, but I was like finally back with my friends. I had an apartment. Um, I was in Minneapolis for two years before, um, before coming to LA. And I just felt like, I gave myself like nine months of being like, I'm going to move to LA in December and just gauge people's reactions. And everyone was like, Oh my God, good. Everyone in Minneapolis that I had loved that I'd moved back that I'd wanted to be around were like, yes, I'm going to miss you so much. Go. And then I, yeah, I moved to LA without ever having visited LA (laughs) and it kind of, it was nice because New York, I had such a high, high expectation for it that it could never have um, met that expectation. LA, I was like, it doesn't matter if I like the city. I do want to write for TV. And then so anytime I like LA, it feels like a bonus. Yeah. Like, oh, it, it's, it's livable. And, and now I'm like, oh, I definitely see myself. I mean, I miss Minnesota. I go back a lot, but I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I live in LA and that's, yeah. that's how it is. You must miss your friends from SNL. (laughs) Um, Yes, I do. I do. Um, I I feel like I have these great groups of friends now. Like I can always go back to New York and have either college friends to stay with. And a lot of my college friends are now working on SNL. Wow. So that's been fun to go back and visit and see the show as like a guest. (laughs) Yeah. Do you still stand in line just for like old time's sake? I do not. I, <laughs> it was no, thank you. I will say my um, the last episode, the season finale of my freshman year. Um, I, I actually ended up going to the after party. What kind of charmed life? Like what a what a yellow brick road. <laughs> Every all, the cast was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" <laughs> Like, I don't know. Um, you had a great season. They were so nice though. And it just, it, it was like the biggest thing that I'd ever, it was like the best night. Um, and, and like, it was crazy to then go back, um, with friends who work there and go to the after party and be like, I'm really tired. And I think I should go home. (laughs) As opposed to like, you have to go home. We're closing up. Right. Right. As opposed to like, you're not supposed to be here. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but that, that feels, that feels cool. It feels, I mean, I had such a great college group. I was in, um, danger box, which is the NYU improv group with, um, like Anna Dresden and Bowen Yang, um, and Andrew Farmer and like these folks that are, that are working and doing cool stuff. And it feels like we all sort of came up together and yeah. that I mean that feels very cool 
Were you able to like looking at SNL and able to like step off or take them off the pedestal? Like take SNL and be like, no, these are actually my people. Um, I think it didn't really happen until I came to LA and really thought about trying to work at SNL for real. I did audition just at UCB last summer. Um, like for the producer session, whatever for, for SNL and I've submitted packets and I have sort of, I've let go of that dream in a way that feels um, really healthy. And I'm, I'm happy that I've reached that point, like taking it off of the pedestal, even though like my family and, you know, people back home are like, you need to be on SNL. It's like, actually like, not only am I not going to be on SNL, I, I don't, that's not right for me. Like yeah. I want to be was that hard. Was that hard to accept that, that path change? It, it feels good. I think like SNL had been the goal because that's all that I could picture. Mm. And it's like, no, I want to write um, narrative TV. I want to write like comedies for older women. I want like, I, I like being like, I'm a performer also. And like, would love to be in TV shows and, you know, that'd be very fun. My focus is writing and it feels really good and healthy that I can comfortably say that, that I see myself as a writer first. Was that a difficult, like, how was that transition when you went, like, I actually want to be considered a writer first? Because you, you were performing for so much of your life. Like, I know you were writing for a lot of it as well, but that sometimes, I don't know, sometimes there's a mourning process about that. Yeah, I actually didn't have that mourning process because I almost was defending my choice to people mm. who were like, oh, but you, oh, I can't wait to see you on TV. Like, you're going to be on SNL. And to be like, no, actually, like, I wrote this pilot. I want to sell this pilot. Like, being able to explain that to other people um, really made it so there wasn't a mourning process and I felt even more like defensive and like that I love being a writer I love that I can do that that feels just as fulfilling more fulfilling um for me than like being in something yeah it's almost like you have to train your friends and family to be like no no this is my dream like the what you're saying is your dream maybe for me but it's not mine yeah and that I think a lot of people expected that to be hard for me and the fact that it wasn't um made it all the more clear that that was the right yeah again like i, I had a little part in in an episode of girl boss um and you know I, I just don't see myself as like getting an acting agent and like going on auditions and like doing that like that doesn't feel right to me while like mm -hmm. um you know writing scripts and going on showrunner meetings and like pitching like that has performance components to it oh god yeah and that that feels like a the right home yeah it serves you and serves your performance needs yeah. that way you're still improvising now aren't you yeah I mean, not in a pandemic not but, yeah. <laughs> um not as much i feel like um when i i was a joke writer for um for the movie blockers uh, yes. on set and went to Atlanta for two months, like pretty suddenly Kay invited me to live with her there and sort of observe that directing process. And, and I left within a week of finding out. And I feel like any work that I've been building, like towards 
like within the LA improv scene just went on pause for two months and I came back and like everything had changed. Yeah. And it's been harder since then to get back into it. Yeah. It's that momentum thing. How, like just trying to keep the momentum. That's the, that's the reason why, why none of us go on holidays yeah. is because the momentum you feel and it, it does to an extent, but you also need balance. Like we can't not, we can't not stop. Totally. And like, jobs will always take precedence. Yeah. Like being in a room, you know, all of a sudden, like if I get in a room, my nights are like no longer, um, schedulable. Um, like I can't yeah. count on having, so it feels right when I have to sort of put that aside, but I miss, like, I really miss the Minneapolis improv scene and how it's everyone, um, just doing it because they love improv and that turnover that happens yeah. in LA isn't there. And I miss being able to just like do a show and yeah. have it be like, um, for an audience, but not like a high stakes demanding, um, schedule. Yeah. Just for the play of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Was there that. a moment that you found, cause you probably started pitching and, and writing right away when you got to LA and how was that process? Cause, or did the things happen for you instantly when you got to LA? No. So I, I came to LA and got a job, um, as an assistant to a guy who lived in Venice and was like, kind of was a it Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. It was Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> it's a guy. It was just, it was, it was odd. I was like a part-time assistant and really hit the ground running with improv here and like building a community that way. But I didn't get, like, I got a girl boss job, I think like four, three or four years after moving to LA and was really at the brink of getting ready to leave. Like at the end of 2015, my very first improv teacher and like one of my very best friends like passed away suddenly. And I was home like for an extended period for Christmas and remember telling my, um, my friend Maureen, I was like, I think I need to leave LA and I'm just, nothing's happening. And she was like, let, all right, this, let this be your last year in LA, but do everything leave. So you have no regrets Yeah, and just go hard for this year and then come home and then you won't regret it. And that had been echoing in my, in my head. And when I found out that Kay sold girl boss, I emailed her say like, congratulations, PS, if you need a writer's assistant, just like, I'm going to put everything out on the table. And and yeah, yeah. Those are those moments that you're like, what are you waiting for? Yeah, exactly. And I think I needed to hear like, again, that sort of like Minnesotan, like, um, not fear of networking, but like worry of, of being genuine and, um, and, and coming off uh, well to these people. And, um, and I think I needed to let go of some of that and just put it all on the table. And that's, that was a huge lesson because that's how I got that job. And um, I wasn't bothering her. <laughs> like it, it, no, uh, you're actually doing her a favor by saying, Hey, I'm here. And she's like, that's actually a great fit for me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, does, do you deal with like anxiety about work or are you able to like compartmentalize so that at the end of the day, you don't take that stress home? Oh my God. I'm anxious hundred percent of the time. Not a hundred percent. Don't tell me a hundred. Cause if I'm, if I'm Not seeing 100%. you in an anxiety state, I'm, I just don't know if I believe you. 
Um, I'm getting better. I definitely have anxiety about it, especially as someone who was always like gold star student, like, tell me what to do. Like, tell me what to do and I'll do it so well. Yes. And it's crazy. And I love stability and I love routine and like everyone does, but I really do. And so the fact that I've chosen a career that puts everything up in the air and a job ends and you're back to where you were, even though you of course I've met more people and whatever, but it feels sort of back to square one. Um, I definitely have that anxiety, but I'm getting, I'm getting better about it and just trying to trust myself and the people around me. Like when people around me say that they will hire me if they can, I have to just believe them and know that there are steps forward, even if there aren't tangible results right away. And like every job I've gotten has been the results of connections I've made years before yeah how do you um how do you find that balance how do you find the stability in an unstable world um i i write a lot when i'm feeling like things are unstable or i'm worried about where my next job's going to come from i stay i stay in touch with people and make sure that people know where I'm at in terms of like, I just finished a new script or, you know, looking, looking for this job. And I just have so many irons in the fire at any given time so that if something falls through with one thing, I can shift focus and know that I've got, I've got stuff cooking and something is coming soon. I think that's Mm -hmm. how I have had to, had to have, you know, had to frame it. I'm not very good at like, like my writing process is so um, dysfunctional. I think a lot of people are. Why? How so? Just like the self-loathing of like, am I writing today? Like, did I get anything done? Like, I still have to. I don't. I don't do well at like taking intentional breaks. It's so vulnerable. It yeah. is like it's worse than performing improv because improv. Well, I don't know. I find writing is so much more vulnerable because in improv. I know if you like me or not. I can see it. I can feel it. Yeah. But in writing, I'm like, mm, now you're on your own. You're going to read what I've poured out of my heart. And I don't have the ability to change it on the fly, like an improv, right? Where you go, oh, the audience isn't liking this. Oh, I'll just tilt it this way. I know. I find it's it really hard. hard to know. Like, it's, it's so, every script I write, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't a thing. Like, I need, I need uh, validation from someone, even if it's just my mom, to be like, this is a good script. <laughs> because yeah. every time it feels like this is going to be the time that it's not going to work. I know. But, like, <laughs> you're proven. Like, you've got a great track record. You're kind, which is more than most artists are. And you've got, like, so you've got a history of success. And yet, we are still like, I, I don't, I don't know how to change my thinking to stop yeah. looking to other folks to give me validation. I think yeah. that's a lifelong thing. If you have any answers, I'm really open to it. I've let it go. I'm like, you know what? I'm in the business. Um, like I don't need validation for my like line of day journal. Like that's for me. No, no you're right. I don't need validation for some things. It's the stuff that I'm more like insecure about. Yeah. And it makes sense because at the end of the day, like, it is all about validation. Like, unfortunately, like you are validated by a production company if they want to help shop your script. Um, like a network validates it by buying it. And like, unfortunately, I think validation is like baked in. And I think like being able to um, 
see where it matters and then like separate it from like personal life or right. um, like, I think that I'm trying to just have a better relationship with validation because it does matter if someone likes my work because it's my job and I want to, um, you know, if they don't like it, they're maybe not the right person, but like, that's a component. Like the yeah. green light is validation. So maybe it's like, I mean, everybody's in a career with validation. Even dentists need mm -hmm. to have the person smile at the end. Yes. <laughs> so that like, they like their work, but like, maybe it's not seeking validation in all aspects. Do you right. know what I mean? Like finding the things that you can self validate. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. I struggle with it. No, I think because we're happens. artists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so curious about what your writer's room will look like. Like, do you ever, do you play that game where, um, you know, like when I have my writer's room, when my, when I'm a showrunner, do you have that game that you play and what things are on the list? Yes. Um, I, I'm so excited to work with friends and people I've met who are hardworking and smart and funny and cool. And if anything, when I think about putting together a writer's room, um, it's hard to not first think of the people that I 100% want to be in a room with at 3 a.m. punching a joke. Um, and, you know, it's friends, but it's people that I've met in other rooms that I'm like, oh, I really like how you see problem solving or, or you're really helpful. And most of it comes down to like looking for like positivity with brainstorming. And I think like my improv background has definitely influenced that of like seeing in a room, like the people who are um, precious about their ideas or like withholding um, with laughter or. I know that's huge for me. Yes. Aren't your best friends people that laugh? Like I have some, my friends that I'm like, I just want to hang out with you all the time because you make me feel so funny. Yeah. They, you have to be around good laughers. Yeah. And why not? Positive. Yeah. Did you say pitch positive? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but why not? Like it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to laugh. Like no. why not just like let it out? You know what I mean? I know. I know. It's so um, disturbing to me when people are, are withholding about that and at the end of the day, like a lot of people can think about story. A lot of people are good at punching jokes. There's a lot of those ingredients. Those are all important in the room. They're like nuanced differences in what people bring. But at the end of the day, if people can show up wanting to help the showrunner, wanting to have a good day, be kind to people and move things forward like that and like have fun like that. Yeah. That's what, so what, what are we doing this for? Like, but I find myself sometimes like getting so heady about, I don't know, structure or management of things that I get real heady. And then I'm like, wait a second, can we please start having some fun? Can we yeah. please? And then we usually like in the firecracker department, we usually put like mustache hair. In front of <laughs> and we it's not as serious as it can be. That's delightful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that that, I mean, any, any script that I've loved, that I've written, yes, there have been hard moments with it, but I've always maintained my like, love for that idea and my excitement for it. And I think the same thing goes for a writer's room. Like, even if it doesn't feel, you know, on staff, even if it doesn't feel like the show you would write on your own or like the perfect fit, like 
you get to create a new story and like finding what you love in that process and staying excited about it, I think is key to like a successful room. What's the uh, thing that you took away from working on Girlboss that you're like, oh yeah, that's going to be in my room? Um, I th- Kay was so good at running a room. Um, and Why? She- what, what elements? So I think the fact that like she's an improviser, um, she has a, a teaching degree and she's an athlete. And I think like those ingredients um, made her so good at running a team and really like best idea wins, mm-hmm. positivity, um, like finding, like really opening it up. Like the fact that she, as the writer assistant, I got to sit at the table and pitch jokes. Yeah. And got a lot of jokes in. It was like best joke one. And there, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of hierarchy that's important for like um, maintaining chaos or like managing chaos, but like that everyone had ideas to contribute. um, I definitely would bring that into or hope to bring that into a room that I ran. Yeah, I like that so much. And I, I so believe in the collaboration of, a, of an ensemble too, that there are jokes. And it's also muscles. Like that's such a wise thing to have somebody who's an assistant go pitch because yeah. you need to work that muscle out. Yes. And I don't know about you, but like I get, when I pitch jokes, I still get like all like, yeah, 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 yeah. like now it's a bit better, but I, uh, it depends on the room and how much I yeah. know folks in the room. Um, have you crossed that bridge of being stressed about your pitches? Um, Working uh, on blockers was a real like into the fire lesson in confidence and joke pitching and not taking things personally. And that it was like stressful and so fun. And such a that was like a really huge like personal growth for me in that too of like first couple days on set, she was like, you know, you can sort of hang out with the other. Uh, on-site joke writers and they had like amazing resumes it was Megan Gans and Dave Stassen and I was like um, and then Paula Pell was emailing jokes and I'm like oh my god (laughs) um okay I I won't I'm not gonna write any jokes maybe by the end of the of the filming like I'll have a couple pitches and then by you know right away Kay was like you know you can you can pitch jokes too and I just Right away, I had to get good at seeing a line, coming up with like five different jokes that are funny in different ways, that take it in different directions. And like sometimes would have to just like go literally hand it to like John Cena and be like, try these. Or like would hand them to Kay. And Kay was super busy. Everyone was super busy. She'd look at him and be like, no, put it down. You're like, okay, that's fine. I can, um, <laughs> I can yeah, roll yeah. with that. And then <laughs> when I got to know good Nick, I was like, I remember the first, um, we were like doing a rewrite of the second episode and I showed up with like a million jokes and I was like, here you go. Here are my joke pitches. And it was like, okay, we don't need that. It's not that <laughs> but I'd gotten so like, yes, yeah, definitely a muscle that I worked of like, I can be confident in my joke pitches. I can know that like, they're not all great, but trying to like, hopefully maybe some of them would help them find the right joke or um, really seeing it as like a job and not a like, Ooh, I want to like get extra credit, like a little gold star for a good joke kind of thing. Like, no, it's your job to come up with jokes. Yeah. That's, I think you're right. That it's the, the muscle. And I'm sure you watch TV now going, 
Oh, I have three other jokes for that one joke. Um, sometimes I don't, I don't watch a lot of comedies actually because no, me neither. Yeah. I feel like I'm like looking at it differently. It's not as relaxing, I think, as watching like bad reality shows or really good dramas where I'm like, whoa, I could never do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. But then aren't you tilting? Like I watch something like Broad Church or happy valley and i'm like oh man this be so funny if I know. Uh, the killer is 100 <laughs> percent. i yeah. i definitely do that um try to like punch punch dramas like yeah. well, there's a real miss joke opportunity it's like well emily they weren't going for a joke there this is a drama <laughs> yeah uh listen i want to wrap it up and i'm going to wrap it up with some um rapid fire questions that are neither rapid or fire related okay what do you want to be best known for um, being kind and funny and smart. Yes, you're right. That's the right answer. Um, <laughs> what's two words to describe your, your mental, mental state right now? Um, two words. I'm going to say surprisingly peaceful. I like it. If this was a movie and we're about to write the, like show the credits, what has been the climax to your own movie? The turning point? Um, oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, Maybe my my move to LA, or maybe Girl Boss, getting in the room at Girl Boss, and yeah. um, that's where that a lot of changed after that. What book do you think you'd like to write by the end of your lifetime? Oh, um, I don't. I've not. I've not thought about that because I mostly think in terms of scripts. Huh. I bet you do have a book. Maybe. Um, I think maybe. Um, I could see myself writing like a baking, uh, like a cookbook um, with a lot of personal anecdotes and, um, and recipes that are very easy. I love it. I love it. What's uh, something that nobody knows about you? Um, nobody knows about me. I'm, I'm an open book. I feel like people know more than they would ever want to know. The number <laughs> one thing my friends say across the board, all friends in all places. It's like, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> I love it. What has been your best mistake and what did you take away from it? Um, my best mistake is the, is the four to seven year relationship with that, with that boy because it's provided a lot of stories for me and a lot of good personal reflection, including the fact that I like definitely want to date women. That's a good lesson. Yeah. That's, that's a good seven year lesson. Four, <laughs> did you say four to seven years? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he thought we dated for four years. I thought we dated for seven. There was some discrepancy. Great. Great. Good. <laughs> I'll see you for one more year and then that's it. Yes. <laughs> um, what do you do when you need to regroup after a stressful time? Um, uh, to regroup, if I have the time and luxury, I really like going to my family cabin and kayaking out into the lake and sitting there and crying a little bit. Yeah, so just whatever brings, whatever comes up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do in your lifetime? Um, freeze my eggs. I did not see that coming, but I love it. Uh, and what's advice? What's advice you would have given to your younger self? 
Um, the things that you feel are over the top, the things you're obsessed about that other people are like, calm down, don't, don't be so obsessed. That is the key to, that is the key to the future that you want is staying, staying passionate and staying obsessed with everything. Yeah. You really put yourself in your own school. Like you did though. You took charge. You saw what you wanted to do and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to spring into action. It's really, it's a really great story. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really, I'm so happy our paths have crossed, Emily. I feel so lucky. Same here. It was so, so great to meet you. And I just, I, I, yeah, I feel really lucky to know you. I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, when this is over, you know, like some sort of coffee or cocktail, let's find ourselves drinking those together. Maybe a coffee cocktail. I mean, I'm into it. I feel like, you know, Kahlua is magical. Yeah. 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 Throw that in anything. It's perfect. Uh, No, I just think the world of you and I can't, I'm so excited for your future. I'm also so excited because I think you are not only funny and smart, but you're kind. And I think I just love this generation of people that value those things. And so knowing that you're going to run your own writer's room at some point, I'm like, yeah, that should happen. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Right? She's the best. This is one of the saddest things about COVID is that I meet these fantastic firecrackers when I do these interviews and I can't hang out. I can't be like, oh, we're having a brunch. Come over for that. Or, hey, we're going to do a meal. It's all about food. Who's kidding who? Where's the firecracker food department when you need it? But I miss sharing further hangouts with these folks. But one day, one day, Emily Schmidt, You can follow Emily at Emily R. Schmidt on all the platforms and watch out for This Country on Fox. For now, you can watch No Good Nick, Girl Boss, and Blockers on Netflix anytime. You're welcome. You could do like a a Emily Schmidt binge for surezies. As always, let us know on Instagram or Twitter at FirecrackerDEPT. What made you laugh? What made you go, oh, what made you go, what? Yeah. What made you pick up a pen? What made you get to your computer and start writing? I want to hear all about it, and I know our team loves all the correspondence that's coming our way. While you're online, why don't you just leave us a review? Go on. It helps build our community. It takes, like, no time, and you could write a review that just says, I like this podcast. It was nice. So you don't have to be eloquent or anything crazy. Just uh, give us a little shout-out. We just always, always, always love to hear from you. Thanks so much, everybody. There are some exciting things coming up in the firecracker department, so stay tuned. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the firecracker department, and if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the firecracker community, and where all our event reminders, conversations, and connections happen. Uh, Like, are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee. We often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes, and that's the way it rolls. 
We always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. There's a lot going on and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world, and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up. Ginormous! Everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too. So thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department.